Well, we've been in a sermon series about Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, and we have a special privilege this morning to hear from one of our campus pastors, my beautiful wife, Jamie Crozier. Would you welcome her to the stage? Thank you, honey. Yes, we are married, so it's not weird. You know what we do in front of our kids that we like kiss, and that's weird. I won't do that to you guys. <laughs> uh, but speaking of family, last weekend our family went to see the Dude Perfect tour in Louisville. Louisville. It has to like roll a lot of your tongue a little bit. Louisville. Um, who knows who Dude Perfect is? I have a picture of them. I got a few hands. Okay. So pretty cool. It's a pretty cool group. And they met when they were in college. And they were roommates. And they started doing these trick shot videos and went viral. And fast forward a few years after that, they graduated college. They all kind of moved their own separate ways. They were married, but they still came together to do these videos, and they were still going viral. So they decided after a few years, they are going all in. So they are based out of Texas, and today they have more than 53 million subscribers. And so our family got to see them. I have a picture, a couple pictures of our family there. We got to see them on tour, finally. Um, a long wait to go see them. And it was really fun. So their YouTube videos today, they still do trick shots, but they also do like um, battles and some comedy sketches. And But here's a pro tip, parents. Like your kids want to watch this. And secretly, I like to watch it too. Okay, it's fun. You don't have to worry about the content. And they just have a great message. Well, at the end of the show last weekend, one of the members of Dude Perfect came up in front with the whole crew, but he shared his personal testimony. And in that, he said something that struck me. He's like, you know, Dude Perfect isn't perfect. Like, what makes us perfect actually is what God did in our lives. And, you know, you may think that they live the best life. And he explained, yeah, we get to do all these fun things, but our life actually isn't about that. Our life is only based in a relationship with Jesus Christ because Jesus is life. And he prayed over us. And it was just so touching as a parent uh, to be there with my family and kids and have them hear that story. And, you know, it got me thinking, too, like, we've been in this sermon series, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And so today, we're going to discuss that. You know, we see how other people live their lives, maybe like Dude Perfect or anyone else you might see in, in the public's eye or in media. And you know how you live your own life, obviously, right? But the question I have today is, like, what does Jesus say about life? So that's what we're going to dig into. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you for showing up every time. Thank you for being here and loving us. And thank you for being the way, the truth, and the life. And I ask that you speak to each one of us how this resonates in our lives and where we are in the things that we are walking through. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Well, my whole life, I've always felt like I've had to work for what I had or what I wanted. And it was my number one responsibility to have a good life. And for me, that just meant I wanted happiness. You know, not, not too much. It wasn't a big deal. I wasn't, like, out to hurt anyone else for my happiness. I was actually really trying to be a good person. But I knew that if I wanted to have a good life, no one else was going to do it for me. I needed to make it happen. And so that some of the things, uh, to give you an example, some of the things that I wanted in life was I just, I wanted a good man to love me more than he loved anything else. 
I wanted to have a decent house, a decent car, and I just didn't want to live paycheck to paycheck. That was my idea of a good life. Now, we live in a world that defines life many different ways. And the good life is often defined with materialism, success, and power. And this can be very extreme. You probably know people like this. Uh, they're the people that have million-dollar homes, um, vacation homes all around the world. Maybe they have, you know, they're worth billions of dollars and have lots of money, and they have the power to make things happen. If you know anyone like that, you may think, oh, yes, they, they are living the good life. But in reality, most of us are just trying to have maybe a few nice meals out at a nice restaurant. Uh, we aren't looking for million-dollar homes, although it would be nice to have one that doesn't have million problems. Amen. Um, <laughs> you know, we don't have to have six digits, seven digits in our bank account. We just kind of want to have enough to pay the bills. And that would be nice. And if we had a vacation here and there, that's just icing on the cake. But you see, the good life actually isn't any of those things. The good life isn't the 53 million YouTube subscribers. It isn't about the vacation home or the expensive home. It actually isn't even about just having enough money to pay the bills. The good life really isn't a comparison of good or bad like these things are on a spectrum. Because you can actually be anywhere on that spectrum and it doesn't really mean that you're having a good life or a bad life. When we think of life at all, we should think about one thing, Jesus. After all, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So it's not really about a good life versus a bad life. It's actually about life versus death. But I'll come back to that. So when you think about your life, what do you think about? Do you think about maybe experiences you've had, relationships or your family? Do you think about what you do for a living, things you own? I think I've always thought about life in general being like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's a pyramid. Have you guys seen this before? How many people learned about this in school? I did. Okay, we got, yeah, we got some people. So the Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a motivational theory in psychology, and it's this five-tier pyramid of what humans need in life, and it's often depicted in a triangle like this. And so starting from the bottom up, we have uh, physiological needs, such as we need to sleep, we need food, we need water. Then moving up from that, safety and security. So this is like we need our health, uh, we need shelter. We need a place to live. Uh, love and belonging is after that. So this is our family and our friendship. It's our need to be intimately known. And then above that, we have our self-esteem. So this is where, like, we're confident with who we are. We can be unique, and we're confident about that. And then ultimately is the tongue twister, self-actualization. I have to say it really slow. But self-actualization is actually the process of being everything you need and having everything you need. And according to this uh, model, Maslow believed that you had to kind of go in this order, in order, in your order of life. So you couldn't skip around. You had to meet the basic needs before you went to safety, love and belonging, and so on and so forth. And this model would say that most people do not ever reach that top level of self 
actualization. Now, I find this stuff fascinating. So if you don't, I'm really sorry because I want to talk to you a little bit more about it. I just can nerd out on this kind of stuff. And I love reading about these different models. And something that was interesting that I read about was before the pandemic, there was, um, or at the start of the pandemic, there was a lot of research saying that for the first time in global human history, most researchers now are finding that this order of needs is no longer valid. Now, this model has been subject to scrutiny for, for a long time. But this is the first time that it's actually been a worldwide phenomenon that people will actually skip the first couple levels. They will sacrifice your, their safety, their physiological needs in order to be intimately known, to feel unique, and to feel confident. Now, you may not realize that, but, but you do, because it's the great resignation. You may not know what that term is, but you know, I think everyone here knows, every industry is short-staffed right now, right? You're feeling it. Everywhere you go, they're short-staffed. There's help-wanted signs everywhere. According to ABC, in an article published just last month, Millions of people, from frontline workers to senior executives, are voluntarily calling it quits on their jobs. According to a study by Microsoft just last month, 40% of the current global workforce, so 40% of people currently working, are actually planning to leave their jobs before the end of the year. And in a Forbes study published just this month, many of the workers who left their jobs through the pandemic, left without having another job lined up. I just find this fascinating, that people will sacrifice food and shelter and leave their jobs, or really just leave any place, if they don't feel like they belong, or if what they're doing isn't unique, or if it's not promoting their self-esteem. Now, I'm not saying that it's always wrong, to leave a job or leave a place. Okay, please don't send me the mail <laughs> that says, you know, these are the reasons why I left. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying it's wrong. I am saying that it's fascinating that some people will leave these places even if they are sacrificing food and shelter. As with Maslow, though, even these new studies show that even when you go out of order and you sacrifice things to meet other needs, that most people still never reach that top level of self-actualization. So if this is true, then it means that it's possible that people are leaving their workplaces or situations due to a lack of fulfillment, but they still will never find that fulfillment that they're searching for. Now in reality, we all probably have different ideas about life. And maybe they fit somewhere on this pyramid or on a, on a different model. Um, I'm not condoning this pyramid one way or the other. I'm not saying anything about it. I will say, though, that I think a lot of the things on there adequately describe what this world would say we need in life. But here's the problem. This pyramid and all other ways that we may think about a life and the things in there, a lot of times it has to do with things that we achieve or our experiences, things that happen to us, our happiness. But that's not what Jesus says. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. 
I am the life. Did you catch that? I am. Now, all throughout this series, we have been camping out in the book of John. And brace yourselves, because I'm going to nerd out even more. I love the book of John. Okay, I love it. Um, It's a great book to read. I I just think you should read it. But I also want you to know there's a lot of really cool, fascinating things about the book of John. One thing is that John actually outlines seven circumstances where Jesus uses this phrase we've been talking about, I am, which in the original Greek refers to the Hebrew name of God. So when Jesus is using this particular phrase, whenever you read this in John, Jesus is actually quoting from the books of Exodus and Isaiah. I find, I find that incredible. Jesus says, I am the bread of life, the light of the world, the gate for the sheep, the good shepherd, the resurrection, the way, the truth, and life, the true vine. And if you really want to like go deep and nerd out on this, John also uses a third set of sevens when he's talking about the miracles that Jesus did. This is such as um, when he raised Lazarus from the dead and when he turned the water into wine. As a church, part of our mission statement is that we get to extend the miraculous. And this is important because biblically speaking, each miracle points to Jesus. It's another way of Jesus saying, I am. Those seven miracles that John intentionally writes about points back to Jesus saying, I am. The number three and the number seven have great significance all throughout the Bible, and it all points to Jesus. And so John, in this book, just wants to make that very clear that Jesus is the I am of life. So that might be fascinating, okay? Maybe or maybe not if you don't like that kind of stuff. But I think the real question is, why does this matter? And how does this matter to me, to you? Well, remember how I told you um, in the beginning of this message that, you know, like my whole life I just wanted to have a good life. And I knew that I needed to do my own thing in order to have it. So fast forward a few years, Kevin and I are married. And he failed to love me more than anything in life. And I was out. I was done. Much like the people walking out on their jobs or other situations, I was not being fulfilled, and so I was walking out. I filed for divorce, and we were separated for 18 months. And so at that time, in search of fulfillment and happiness, I was working two jobs, and I was pretty much dating any guy that would show me attention because surely these extra jobs and the extra money will help me have a nicer car and a nicer house. Oh, this guy, yes, surely he's going to love me more than Kevin ever could or would. But just like how people are walking out of their jobs or their situations and not being fulfilled, I was doing the same thing. Maslow was right. I never could reach the top of that pyramid. I actually personally spiraled out of control, trying. Now, in that time, I considered myself a Christian. I knew I was going to heaven, but the truth is, I was living like hell. Do you know what I mean when I say, like, Christians can live like hell? Like for me, no one was looking at me during this time and saying, yeah, that girl reflects heaven. <laughs> that was not happening, said no one ever. I was like, I knew Jesus loved me, 
But I thought that meant that he wanted me to be happy, right? Like, surely he wants my happiness. Surely Jesus wants your happiness. And so that's what I was after. And I searched for it in different places, different jobs, different friendships, different relationships. But everything failed me. I was so focused on my needs, my rights, my goals, what I deserved, that I completely missed the point that Jesus actually cares about my holiness more than my happiness. There was this book that I read during our separation, and it said something like, marriage was never intended to make you happy. It was intended to make you holy. I was angry at that. (laughs) I think I read that whole book just out of spite. You know, every sentence, I was like, how can this be true? How can Jesus not care first and foremost about my happiness? Because Jesus knows that my pursuit of happiness only leads to my death. It's only a pursuit of holiness, a pursuit of Jesus that leads to life. Jesus is life. And that's what I mean when I said earlier that it's not really about the good life versus the bad life. It's more about life versus death. Looking back on that time in my life, I could see that I was dragging around a dead person. That's pretty stinky. I was just dead inside. Have you ever felt that way? I was dead tired. I was tired of striving, of wanting, of crying, of spiraling out of control. I often think that people think when they're saved, like they're saved so that they can go to heaven someday. But if that were the case, then like when we're saved, we'd be like, yes, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And then we'd like, beam me up, Scotty, and go to heaven. Some people got that, like two people. Beam me up, Scotty, Google it, it's a phrase. I feel old. Okay, We'd be like, beat me up, Scotty, I'm going to heaven right now. But that doesn't happen. We are not magically teleported to heaven the moment that we accept Jesus. So there must be a reason. And Jesus says, the kingdom is here. And we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So then do our lives reflect earth? No. Do our lives reflect heaven on earth? Jesus died on the cross for me and as me. And Jesus died on the cross for you, as you. And when we accept this gift, we die. That's why Jesus said we need to be born again. Jesus was raised to life. Jesus is life. And when he was raised, we were raised. Our life is meant to be in Jesus. So we are meant to be the light of the world. We are meant to bring the kingdom. Actually, when people look at us, they should say, that looks like heaven. Now, I don't have it all figured out. I am so far from perfect. And I love my husband. He doesn't have it all figured out either. He he isn't perfect. It was Jesus in me and Jesus in me in Kevin that resurrected our marriage. You know, Jesus said, I am the resurrection. And we take that literally. So for us, what that looks like is we weren't trying to fix our marriage. It was dead. We were allowing Jesus to resurrect it. 
So what about you? Is there something in your life that you are trying to fix in your own power? Is there some level or some goal that you are trying to reach that society would say, this is the good life? And I think what Jesus might be saying in that circumstance is, that's dead. I killed it. And I want to resurrect you to a new life. Let's look back at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Regardless of the order, this is the story that the world would tell us of what we need in life and what defines a good life. But when we understand that Jesus is life, Jesus says some weird things like the last will be first and the first will be last. And sometimes we say around here like in the kingdom it's an upside down world. This is what that means. When we recognize that Jesus is life, every story that we have written in our minds about what the world says is life gets turned upside down, including this. It gets turned upside down because we actually start with Jesus is life. We start at self-actualization. In a world that says you may never reach this top level, we get to say, guess what? We started on day one, we are there. And then it only gets better as our life and our relationship grows in Jesus. Jesus says, I am your acceptance. I am your confidence. I am your friend. I am your shelter. I am your bread. Jesus is the alpha and the omega. Jesus actually started and finished this pyramid. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I don't know where this message may find you today. I don't know where this whole series may be intersecting with your life. Maybe in your life you've been kind of half in or half out on your faith. And today there's an invitation to you to say, I'm all in, Jesus. You are the only way. Maybe for others of us, there are these voices. Maybe it's other voices or voices in our own minds that want to say, you know, you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. These are voices from Satan. They're lies. And they want to come and steal our joy, kill us, and destroy us. And if that's you, then today's an invitation to say, enough. Jesus is truth. And he says, I'm precious. I'm loved, I'm valued, you are worth dying for. And so today could be your invitation to say, I accept that and I want to live for Jesus. Maybe today you find yourself searching for something on that pyramid, on that hierarchy of needs or some, some goal that the world says you need. Maybe you're striving to do enough so that you can be accepted and feel like you belong. And if that's you, then the invitation is to flip that script upside down and know that Jesus is life. He is your acceptance, your confidence, your friend, your shelter, your bread. In Jesus, you already belong. You are free to be loved and empowered to do the same and greater things each and every day in your life. 
you can encounter love, experience life transformation, so you can extend the miraculous and show the world a life that reflects heaven. If any of those things resonate with you and you are ready to take that invitation, any of those invitations, maybe for the first time ever, or maybe a rededication, then I have one question for you today. Can we baptize you next week? If you are interested in having a conversation about baptism, you can text that number, and one of our pastors will be in touch with you this week. It would just be an honor to celebrate with you your decision, the life that God wants to give you, and to do that together as family. Now, this morning, we are going to spend some time together thanking Jesus for being the way, the truth, and the life. And we're going to do that through communion. And so I want to explain a little bit about communion. Uh, but before we do that, will you join me in prayer? God, thank you so much for your message. Thank you for your words. Thank you for being the way and the truth and the life. And I ask that you show each one of us how that message intersects with our life, that you would highlight a circumstance or a thought in our minds, and you would speak to us on how you want to bring life to that, how you want to show the kingdom of heaven through each and every one of us to spread your love around the world. Thank you for all you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.